Morning, everyone. Well, I get all set up here. I just want to give you guys, um, by the way, pay attention to that announcement. You need to sign up to serve. Otherwise, they send you out to go plant a church. <laughs> well, I just want to let you all know that I'm uh, blessed and honored to be here to be able to share the word of God with you all this morning. Um, it's always a, a wonderful homecoming to come back to the church that I spent so many years in growing and developing and, and just being poured into by all those people that serve in all those ministries. And so before I go any further, though, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning that he would speak to each of us and maybe encourage us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we are gathered here, we came with a purpose. We came because we wanted to be in your presence among your people, that we would praise your name, but also, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word. And so we ask that you would speak to us now from your word, that you would bless our time in your word, and that you would glorify yourself in your son's name. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, it's a pleasure and a joy to be invited to come back again and share God's word with you this morning. So um, if you weren't here last year, I was here about a year ago. Um, Usually, I guess they have trouble finding guys to come up and teach during the men's retreat. And so they they invite me out. And um, as many of you know, this church is the church that my family and I called home for many years. Uh, We grew here. We served here. I served in puppet ministry, children's ministry youth ministry, uh, who, who knows what else. I did a lot of stuff. It was fun. It, it never felt like you were serving. It just felt like you were having fun hanging out with your family. And so uh, when the Lord's timing was correct and ready, he called us to go out and start a new work in the far east of El Paso. That's where we started, was in the 79938 zip code. And then uh, after a couple of years meeting in a school, our church moved into its very first building, and we moved to the 36 zip code. And uh, we've, we've been in that zip code for about uh, six, seven years. The Lord blessed the work. He grew the work. We've been um, just having a great time just teaching his word and watching as people grow and watching as his word brings people to life. This year, we took a step of faith. And we leased a place that sits on two acres of land. It has a building that's about four times the building that we were in before. And that's just what's built out. Um, The sanctuary fits our entire old building in it. It's just an amazing blessing from the Lord. Uh, When I was out here last year, we prayed over it. It was stuck in probate court. It got out of probate court in two months. So we, we knew that the Lord's hand was upon it, and so we moved there. Uh, we had our first service Easter Sunday after a four-month build-out project to, to put walls back and doors back and make it look like a, you know, a decent place that people would want to gather and not a place where they might get hurt. <laughs> and so we moved into the 79928 zip code, about 10 miles from our church where it was originally at. Planting the church took a little faith. Moving to Horizon has taken a little faith as well, and it continues to take faith as we continue to do and and to walk in what the Lord has called us to. And that's what the Lord has put on my heart to share with you this morning, is little faith. And so the scriptures we're going to be in this morning is Matthew 14. We're going to look at verses 22 through 33. 
And I'm going to be teaching from the CSB version of the Bible, and so if yours doesn't line up exactly, it's because I'm teaching out of the Christian Standard Bible. And you guys, I believe, still use the New King James, which is an awesome translation. There's nothing to question about the Word of God. It's just words it different. And so, if you guys would join with me, starting in verse 22. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sink out. He cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. And so there's three things this morning that I want to go over. And this this, uh, section of scripture divides up nicely by the word immediately. And so that's how we're going to look at it. And the first thing I want us to see is I want us to see that there was faith in the boat. Again, verse 22 says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night he was there alone. So as soon as we start, we see that word immediately. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. The second word I want us to see is that word made. There's so much force in that word, so much um, command that's in there that it could mean compelled or forced. Like literally, Jesus pushed them into the boat and shoved the boat offshore. Why? Well, here's the backdrop for what we see happening Jesus had just fed the crowds of 5,000. And having seen what Jesus did miraculously, providing for them food and sustenance, the crowd was in a fur. They were ready. They were like, oh, man, we're going to make him our king. We're going to just go in there and we're going to throw out the Caesar and we're going to make him our king. John 6.15 tells us this. That's, that's where I get this from. It comes from John 6.15. It says, therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew to the mountain by himself. So they saw his ability to provide supernaturally for their needs, and they said, that's it. He's king. That's all we need. We're, we're very similar, aren't we? As soon as someone promises to take care of our needs, we're like, Let's put them in charge. Let's make them king. And Jesus had to get his disciples out of there because while the masses were wild with enthusiasm, the disciples were starting to get caught up in it as well. 
the disciples were kind of like, oh, yeah, we know he's king. We, we want him to be king. They still understood the pharisaical understanding of when the Messiah would come, that it would be a political takeover. And so Jesus pushed them off so that they wouldn't get caught up in that excitement. And then Jesus went off to go pray alone. Because in that fur of it, there wasn't anybody that he could talk. He could, man, they want to make me king. They're like, yeah, we do. So he knew that the place to withdraw to and go to was to the Father. The Father alone was the one who would be of comfort to him. In the midst of his ministry, in the midst of his journey, in the midst of his mission, Jesus did not and he could not neglect to pray. And we always find him, he's jealous to spend time with his father alone in prayer. But back in Matthew 14, verse 24, it says, Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. And Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. Meanwhile, that word tells us, Jesus is praying, meanwhile, see this a lot in movie scripts and whatnot where it just cuts to the other one and it shows you two things going on at the same time. Meanwhile, while Jesus was praying, the disciples in the boat, they were already some distance from the land. They'd been rowing. You know, they were fishermen. They were pretty good at rowing a boat. Mark tells us, however, that the boat was in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee at its widest point across, about seven miles. So they were in the middle, about three and a half miles in. And it says, Mark tells us that the disciples not only were in the boat, not only rowing, but they were straining at the oars. They're in the boat that Jesus put them in. They're going to the place that Jesus told them to go. And here they are. There's a storm all around them. And they're having to give so much effort just to stay where they are. How many of you think that when Jesus puts you in a place and sends you off, it's going to be smooth sailing? We tend to think that that's the way it's going to go. If I'm, if I'm obeying the Lord, if I'm going where the Lord wants me to go, it's going to be smooth sailing. But the winds were blowing against them so hard that they had to fight just to stay where they were. Choppy waves are battering the boat. They have to row. They can't use the sail because the wind's going in the opposite direction. You put up that sail and you're already going back. We know that they were battering these ways for some time because it says that Jesus spent many hours praying alone. Meanwhile, while Jesus was spending all those hours praying alone, the disciples are rowing and rowing and rowing. They're fighting and they're struggling and they're fighting and struggling because Jesus put them in the boat and he said, go. And they wanted to go. Christ, at the same time that they were struggling was praying for his disciples. And you know what? Christ has not ceased praying for his disciples. He went to be at the right hand of the Father of God in heaven to sit down at his right hand. But you know what? He didn't sit down and say, oh, that's it. Let's see what they do now. He went and he was at the, he's at the right hand of the Father and he's praying and he's interceding and he's watching us because he gave us a mission. He gave us a commission. He sent us out. And he gave us a direction. He wants to watch us go. As we batter the wind and the waves of the storms of this life. The storms of this life with their wind and the waves, they're they're significant. They, They suggest everything that is against us when we want to follow Jesus Christ. 
Our job could be against us. Our family could be against us. Our own mind and doubts could be against us. Not to mention the spiritual forces that are automatically set against us. To follow Jesus and be where he puts us and go where he directs us is a struggle. It will be a struggle. It will not be smooth sailing. It is a struggle. And we need to know that. Because when, sometimes when we get into that struggle, we go, oh, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Or we start to think, there's something wrong with me because it's this hard. But it's a struggle. It's a struggle against our nature. It's a struggle against our flesh. Because it takes faith to be in the boat and to continue. To continue to row even though you feel like you're getting nowhere. It's a struggle to continue in the direction that Jesus set you in, even though nothing seems to be happening. But everything around you says, just give up and stop. It's a struggle to be in the boat and continue to row, especially when that storm comes against you and you go, wait a minute, I'm going where Jesus sent me. Why is it so hard? You know, the Sea of Galilee is well known for its fast and sudden storms. And, and life is known for those as well, is it not? One time, you're going along, everything's smooth sailing, and then in a split moment, everything changes. There are things that happen in your life that are just changed from that moment on. We've had a lot of those this year. My wife uh, walked her mom home to heaven. And that was a big transition for her. It's been a big transition for her. It's caused her to... You know, when you're struggling to row and you're going in the direction that Jesus sent you and these things are happening, you're like, well, what's going on here? When we set out to go and move a church because the Lord said, we're going to move you here and all the doors are opening for it and the Lord's providing for it. And and you go to move your church there and things happen and you're like, wait a minute, half the church just left. You start to wonder. It's a struggle. Life changes quickly. Last time the disciples were in the boat and they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and a storm came on. They had Jesus in the boat. This is where we get to see that their faith grew a little bit. Because when the storm came and they were in the boat, they just said, that's it, we're dying. We're all dying. And there's Jesus asleep on the boat. They woke him up. They said, don't you even care that we're perishing? And they saw Jesus rebuke the wind and the waves. This time they're on the boat and the wind and the waves are still there. You see, when Jesus calms the storm, it doesn't mean you'll never have another storm. And so this time, Jesus wasn't in the boat. And so they're struggling and they're fighting. They said, Jesus told us to get to the other side. Last time he said, did I not tell you we're going to get to the other side? They said, this time we're going to trust him. We're going to believe him. We're going to get to the other side. So we're going to struggle and we're going to row. And then in verse 26, it says, when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. In the early hours of the morning, after, they, uh, after Jesus had finished praying, he went to where the disciples were. He walked out to them on the sea. The wind and the waves are still going strong, okay? I don't know about you, but when I picture Jesus walking on the sea, sunny, birds are chirping, seagulls are flying. 
and it's smooth glass water. And even that's impossible for me to understand. How did he walk on smooth glass water? No, but the wind and the waves are still going strong. They're, they're beating full force. And there's Jesus just strolling along on choppy waters, huge waves, the wind howling. Jesus is walking across a sea that is anything but smooth and calm. And so as he's walking across it, he comes to the disciples in the middle of the storm, in the middle of their tiring effort, in the middle of their rowing, in the middle of their working to obey. They're working to follow what Jesus had asked them and sent them to do. And I want us to see a couple of things right here. Jesus knew where they were. Jesus knew where they were in the middle of the storm. The descriptions I've always heard about storms and rough waves on the Sea of Galilee that even even in daytime it would be hard to see, but they were rowing at night. You shouldn't be able to see a boat out in the middle of the sea with all that going on, with all that tumultuous storms and waves and everything going on. It would be easy to lose sight. Maybe, maybe Jesus just watched them as they rode out, and he just goes, oh, that's the direction they went, and I'll just walk in a straight line. I don't know if you've ever sailed a boat in a storm or whatnot, but you're not going to go in a straight line. But Jesus knew exactly where they were, even in the middle of the stormy sea, and he went to them. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a storm right now. I want you to hear what's being said. Jesus knows where you are. He hasn't lost sight of you. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus didn't come at the first sign of trouble either. It's not like the first big wave hit him. They said, oh, and then Jesus says, I'm right here. It isn't until the last watch that he comes. Now, if you know anything about um, the way that they did the watches, then there was 12 hours of the night that they divided up into watches. They divided up into quarters. And so every three hours, um, It was a watch, and so it was the fourth watch of the night. They estimate about 3 a.m., 3 to 4 a.m., just before the break of dawn, Jesus came. By this time, they're three and a half miles out in the middle of the sea. They've struggled for hours. They've been rowing. They're tired. They've worn out all of their own strength. And the storm is at its fiercest still. This isn't the first time Jesus is delayed to come. We learn something, however, from his delay. And this is something that the Lord's been showing to me in my life. Because I'm always like, Lord, you have to show up by this time or that's it. It's all over with. Lord, if you don't show up by this time, if you don't show up by my timeline, it's all over with. In John chapter 11, both Martha and Mary had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus even told his disciples, he's sick. And even told them he's going to die. And he said, so we'll head out in a couple of days. And so when Jesus arrived in Bethany, he runs into Martha first. And Martha says, Lord, why didn't you come? We sent word that my brother was sick. And if only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But now it's too late. And as he walks on, he runs into Mary. Mary says the same exact thing. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe in me, that you'll have resurrection 
And he said, but God sent me at this time. I came at this time so that you all would believe, that you all would know. And so he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead. By all intents and purposes, the time to be helped had passed. But we need to get our faith and our courage from this, that God is never late. We may set up timelines for him, but he never is late. Peter was in prison until the last hour of the last watch of the last night before his intended execution. If there ever was a time for him to be saved, it was running out. But though Jesus seems to delay his help, when he comes, we always find it's the perfect time. Because God's timing is perfect. He's never late. He's right on time. And so seeing Jesus and seeing him in the storm and seeing him on the sea was something outside their understanding. They're like, wait a minute. We're in the middle of this choppy ocean. We're fighting against a storm. We want to stay in the boat because the best way to survive a storm is in the boat and not outside the boat. And so, but there's this figure that we see and it's walking on the water. It can't be real. And so they say, it's a ghost. It's a phantasm. To make sense of it, they describe it as a ghost. It's an apparition. And perhaps they've heard one too many sailor stories. One too many superstitious beliefs. And in the midst of struggle, in the midst of towing and rowing to keep the direction, you know what? Sometimes when we see Jesus in the midst of our trouble, we fail to see that it's him. We don't recognize his working. We don't recognize his presence in the midst of the battle. We're too absorbed in our circumstances. And what we do is we start to mistake his presence and his help as phantasms of our own imagination. Especially when he comes in ways that we did not expect, nor could we comprehend. We always have it in our mind. When God's going to do this, he's going to have to do it this way. And what I've found in the many times I've stepped out in faith, and the many times that I've put myself in the middle of a storm to trust the Lord, is that the Lord never does it my way. Ever. Not once. But I don't fail to tell him what my plan is. So that's the faith in the boat. I want us to see now the faith out of the boat. Verse 27 says, Immediately Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, knowing their fear, desiring to encourage them, to relieve them with his presence, perhaps to reinvigorate the strength of their rowing. He says, have courage, it's me. Strengthen your hearts, he says. And when he says, it is I, this literally translates to I am. So he says, have courage. I am is here. And if we remember, I am is the name of God. He's saying, I am is here. I am, the God, is here. There's two reasons that we put fear away. One might be that after a while of struggling and whatnot, we realized the problem wasn't as big as we thought it was. We just made a mountain out of a molehill. Fear tends to exaggerate our circumstances, our troubles, and our problems. The other reason is that the problem may be real and it may be big, but there's an even greater solution and present help at hand. And so fear goes away because I am is here. 
With fear aside, looking out and seeing Jesus walking on the water, Peter's heart is moved. He says, I want to be where Jesus is. And he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. More, more accurately, he says, since it is you, command me to come out on the water. Because he believes that if Jesus commands, he can do it. And so Peter begins, since it is you, call me out there. His request is bold for sure, is it not? But we see the answer. Verse 29, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So Jesus responds to Peter's request. He says, come. Now it's easy to say, if the Lord were to call me, I'll go. Because the Lord hasn't called yet, right? It's easy to say, if the Lord were to ask me to do this, I'll go. If he asked me to go to the middle of Congo to go share the gospel, I'll go. We, we say that because he hasn't called yet. But what happens when he says, come? Well, at that point, Peter had to like, decide, do I believe what I just said or not? It's one thing to talk a big faith. It's another to step out of the boat and onto the water. And so Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. He walked to Jesus. What? That's crazy. That's amazing. And extraordinary things become possible when we trust Jesus to accomplish his word. And we believe that what he calls us to, he empowers us for so much that we can obey even in the impossible. So Peter's walking on the water. Walking out to Jesus. The boat's behind him, Jesus in front of him. It's one of those highlight reel type of moments. And you know what? The water that Peter's walking on, it's not smooth and glassy either. It's still tumultuous. The waves are still going. The wind is still howling. In fact, the wind is blowing so fiercely that the strength of the wind tends to take Peter's attention right off of Jesus. And as his fear returns, so does his doubt, and he begins to sink into the water. And Peter cries out. But see something, when you take a step of faith, and you start to sink, don't think that God is like, well, you haven't even given it a real good try yet. Like, just keep on struggling. Just keep on, you know, wait until you're underwater, then you can call out. No, he called out right away. He said, Lord, save me. cried out to Jesus while he was sinking. He, he also realized, I don't have time for one of those superfluous, long-winded prayers. I couldn't eloquently phrase it. He's like, I, he wasn't trying to think of what is the best way to ask. He said, Lord, save me. Simple. Succinct. And before we get hard on Peter... Going, that's what you get, Peter. We need to understand, it's one thing to experience a storm from the deck of a ship. And it's another thing to be in the middle of the waves 
walking on water. See, the same faith that gets us out of the boat brings us closer to the storm. And so now I want to move us, I want us to see a little faith sustains. A little faith sustains. Verse 31, it says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? After the prayer of Peter, we see that Jesus responds. And I want you to know that a simple prayer receives an answer just as much as any other prayer. Never think that God can't hear you because you didn't use enough words. Don't ever think that God isn't going to save you unless you can pray for a half hour about the same thing. A simple prayer is heard the same as an eloquent prayer. Notice the help Peter has relies on Jesus. When he says, Lord, save me, did Jesus say, here, grab my hand? It says, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him. He didn't say, grab me. He grabbed Peter firmly. And when we, when we follow Jesus and we follow his commands and we follow his calling to lead us to get out of the boat and into the impossible and into the miraculous, there's times where we may doubt. Just because you're walking in faith doesn't mean your doubts will be eliminated. We'll start to sink. We need to remember to cry out to receive that grabbing, saving power of Jesus. And so Jesus caught hold of him, and he brought him back to the surface of the water. He called out for help. Did Jesus say, that's it, you can't walk on water no more? He pulled him up, and he stood there with him walking on the water. And Jesus says to him, you of little faith. Now, to be sure, we can all agree, Peter's the most picked on disciple, is he not? He's always the example of the uh, headstrong, brash, impulsive goofball when it comes to following Jesus. And maybe like me, you've heard um, this spoken of as a rebuke to Peter. And I want you to know that it's a rebuke, but it's not a rebuke as we become accustomed to hearing it. Oh, Peter, you have such little faith. You have just a little faith. Why so small of faith? Don't you know, Peter, if you just had more faith, if we could all just have more faith, then we could all just do so much more. Nothing bad would ever happen to us if we could just have more faith. If you have enough faith, everything's fine. The problem for that is not only does that not work out in practice as we walk out our faith, but that also becomes a very heavy weight of guilt upon us as Christ followers. What I remember in other areas of Matthew's gospel is Jesus encouraging and teaching that all is required to move mountains is little faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed. 
You see, in Matthew 17, 20, the context here is when the disciples came back and they said, your disciples couldn't cast out the demons and they couldn't heal. And, 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 they said, and the disciples said, why couldn't we cast them out? Your translation may say, because you had little faith. It says, because of your little faith, he told them. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll tell this mountain, move from here. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The New King James Version puts it better. I want you to see this. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You see, that word, little faith in the CSB, unbelief in the New King James, is the word apistia. Pisteo is belief in the Greek. Putting an A in front of it makes it the opposite. Unbelief. Non-belief. Little faith in our text this morning is the Greek word oligopiste. It's a playful nickname. It's like a father would use for his very young, young child. It literally means little faith. Like a toddler who falls down and needs to be lifted up by his father. Peter was a toddler in the faith and needed to be lifted up when he fell. Peter had little faith. But he had enough faith. His problem wasn't that he needed more faith. Little faith obeys the word of Jesus. Little faith comes to Jesus as he calls. Little faith accomplishes things for a time. Little faith prays in the midst of trouble. Little faith is safe because it keeps you close to Jesus. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. He walked on water until doubt came. And I want you to know, little faith sustains. But doubt will sink us if we allow it. Faith invites doubt, but we're not to focus on doubt. Doubt wants us to look around. Doubt wants us to evaluate. Doubt wants us to make everything understanding. And faith wants us to look just at Jesus and trust. When we look at Jesus, and we're focused on Jesus, background fades away. Storms fade away. Everything fades in the presence of Jesus. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, it all comes back right in front of us. And we start to sink. Because our fear returns, because our doubts are there. So I think it's a good idea for us to confront our doubts. Jesus is telling Peter, he says, you have little faith. You have little faith. You have it. Why did you doubt? And we need to ask ourselves, is there a good reason to doubt? Is there a good excuse to doubt? Does any good come from doubting? 
Now, little faith is only beneficial when you have the right anchor for your faith. Look at verse 32. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they got in the boat, you realize Jesus picked Peter up and they walked back together to the boat on the water. As I said, Jesus didn't say, that's it. You doubted. No more walking on water for you. You swim back. He held him by the hand and walked with him. And when they got back into the boat, then the wind ceased. Can you imagine? Not only witnessing Jesus and Peter walking hand in hand back to the boat on the water, but the fact that when they get back there and they all get back in the boat, then everything, it's just all fine. It's all great. It's because Jesus' presence calms the storms. And then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly you are the son of God. And I want you to notice here, Jesus didn't say, hey, stop that. I'm not the son of God. He accepted it. You know why? Because he's the son of God. I want you to see here that there's different experiences of faith. But the same conclusion, the anchor of their faith. Jesus is the Son of God. Now this is normally where the disciples who stayed in the boat are also rebuked. So everybody else who would stay in the boat, they get rebuked right here. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to rebuke you and say that if you stayed in the boat, it's because you don't even have any faith to attempt to climb out of the boat. I see this differently. Peter asked Jesus to call him out. And then Jesus called him out, and so Peter then obeyed. There are some who seek God and say, God, will you call me out? I, before we went out and planted the church, I called to God, and I asked him, I said, would you send me to go plant a church? There are some people that are called for that. There are some people that say, would you call me out? Would you send me to go to the remote places to go share the gospel? Would you send me to do this? Would you send me to do that? There is a faith that desires to ask Jesus to call us out. Because, Lord, I know if you call me, I can do it. And when Jesus called him, he got out and Peter obeyed. Not all are called to get out of the boat. Some are to remain in the boat, the boat of faith. This is the boat of ordinary, consistent Christian living in faith and trust in Jesus. Working to be obedient to Christ wherever he leads and directs, in your job, in your ministry that you're serving in, at your church where you're at, in the different things that you are in. Consistent. It takes faith to stay in the boat. Trusting Jesus to keep you secure there, even in the midst of storms. And there are some called from among those in the boat to come out of the boat and trust Jesus. To be closer to the storms, to face that wind, to face the the rain and the waves and all that in the open sea of faith. But I want you to know to be in the boat and out of the boat, obeying and following Jesus, takes faith 
that is only to be anchored in Jesus. But both will face the same storms, and it is the same Lord who calms the storms and is our rescue. I want to encourage you in that. So many times people go, oh, it's because I don't have, if I just had more faith, if I just had this. No, it's taking the faith you have, trusting Jesus and following him, where he calls you, when he calls you. If he puts you in the boat and says, go, you go. I want you to know something. It was God's power, not Peter's faith, that enabled him to walk on water. It's not like you can muster up enough faith and just collect it all up and carry around this big bowl of faith and then you can be like, I can do anything I want now. It was Peter's faith that trusted that Jesus' command to come would be fulfilled. Do you trust Jesus when he says come, that you can go? When he says go, that you'll get there? If you have little faith... You have all you need if that faith is in Jesus Christ. He's the anchor of our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow his commands. Follow his direction for you. When doubts come, what you need to do is doubt your doubts and trust the Lord. It doesn't mean you won't doubt. It just means don't take your eyes off Jesus. Because oftentimes the storms, when they come, they toss us, they perplex us, they leave us in despair. And our Savior, who seems far away, is actually praying for us. And he's near at hand. We have to remember that we need to call to him and know that even the wind and the waves are under his feet. Faith is confidence in Christ and courage through Christ. Hebrews 12.2 says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. New King James says the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the beginning and the end of our faith. Faith is not a one-time choice. You don't say, well, I had faith yesterday, so I'm good to go. It's not just looking to Jesus once. It's looking to Jesus every step of the way. Eyes on him. Not growing weary no matter the storm, the waves, or the winds. But the first start of faith is you have to trust him as Lord and Savior. You have to trust him as Lord and Savior. Life is hard, is it not? The storms of life are hard. The everyday living is just hard. I don't know how those who choose not to trust in Jesus can get through it because I can't get through it without Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity that you don't have to go through this life alone any longer. I want you to know that Jesus has laid down his life for you. That Jesus has gone to the cross for you. That Jesus has said, come to me and I will forgive you. And if you would have that little faith that comes to him and says, if I come to Jesus, he'll forgive me. Because I run into a lot of people that say, you don't know what I've done. God can never forgive me. You don't know what I've done. 
I'm, I'm not one to be forgiven. And, and the truth of the matter is, Jesus died for every single one of the sins that was ever committed. But only those who place their faith and trust in him will be forgiven. But he invites everyone. Will that be you this morning? It's as simple as asking a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be eloquent. There's no magic words. There's no magical incantation. You could simply say, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Because the Bible teaches that whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. And that anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, he will by no means cast away. He won't throw you, he won't be like, no, I'm sorry, not you. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, you've placed your faith in, G- in Jesus to save you from your sins. That's a greater miracle than anything else you could ever trust him for. I want to encourage you. Know that you have little faith if you're in Jesus Christ already. You have little faith. You can follow him. You can obey him. He is your help and your trust. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. And Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouraging um, word and, and, and just allowing us to see the lessons of Peter. Father, I just pray that it wouldn't just be words in our ears, Father God, but that those words would spark in our hearts a greater trust in you. Not that we muster up more faith, but Lord, that we would exercise the faith we have, that we would follow you, that we would listen to you, that we would trust in you over and above anything else out there. Because Lord, there is no better place to be than in your presence. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.